Welcome back, everybody, to this latest episode of Beyond the Barrels. I I just told Grant I was not going to do this, but I think I think we're in episode twelve, the Dirty Dozen, right? If the internet would work back here, I was trying to look it up, but yeah. So I think we're in episode twelve. We're glad you guys are here. Glad you're back. Uh, we hope these are enjoyable for you. We have a fun time recording them and and listening back to them, and we hope you guys. Do as well. So welcome back. Uh, before we begin, I kind of want to apologize. It's allergy season here, early summer. Uh, my voice is a little sexier than normal because of it. <laughs> Everybody here is laughing. Um, no, I'm just a little uh, congested today. So if you hear that, it's because it's allergy season. So we're going to power through this. And and uh, anyway, we're glad you're back. So, so today's episode, uh, very special guest, um, Grant and I have actually been talking about this for a little while. It's the director of our aeronautics group, uh, Jared Esselman. How are you? Doing well. How are you, Matt? Good. I'm glad you're here. Thank you, buddy. Like I said, Grant and I have been talking about this. It's funny because um, I think aeronautics and aviation here at the department has kind of been on the rise. Uh, Absolutely. Just the buzz behind it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, uh, but wanted to bring you in, have a podcast, uh, kind of let everybody get to know you. And then we're going to talk about really what the aeronautics division does, what the sure. purpose is, why, uh, why it's here at the department. So sure. Um, Jared, give us a little bit of background on, on you, who you are, where you're from, uh, why you dot. So I got into aviation right after the September 11th attacks. Um, I, you know, Everybody remembers where they were on September 11th, and a uh, day after I started going to recruiters and saying, you know, I want to, I want to do something. I want to be a part of this. I want to serve. Um, and it and it hit me that well, these attacks came from the air. I want to defend the air. That's where I want to be. So I joined the Air Force, uh, became a loadmaster on C-17s, flew around the world. Um, and, and flying just immediately got into my blood. What's a loadmaster? So a loadmaster uh, basically takes care of everything behind the pilot seat, from the back of the pilot seat to the tail, cargo, fuel, hydraulics, everything. Cool. Yeah. Tanks yeah. to toilet paper. And how long were you active duty for? Four years active duty, three years in the reserves. Okay. Yeah. You're not from Utah. No, I'm not from Utah. <laughs> I get, say y'all and eat grits. Yeah, I was going to say, if everybody can hear, there's a little bit of an accent here. Where are you from? I'm um, from Mooresville, North Carolina, North home Carolina. of NASCAR. Grew up there and then spent most of my adult life in Charleston, South Carolina. So you're a big NASCAR guy. Uh, you know, it's funny, like, because I grew up there, I, people assume that you are. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's I, not I, like everybody in Indianapolis <laughs> is a, <laughs> it is goes to Indi- the Indy 500. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, from the South, from the South, um, went to the air force, went to the air force, then where? So after the air force, um, I tried to get into college, uh, but the college I applied to told me no, um, that I didn't have enough, uh, school experience you know, they didn't count my air force years. So I started in community college and worked my butt off and worked my way, uh, up into the college that originally had told me no. Um, worked my way into a White House internship under George W. Bush, and then eventually got my master's degree from Harvard University. Wow. So we will, we will keep that first university nameless <laughs> to protect the not-so-innocent. But um, good for you. And, and that's one of those things where, man, I say to everybody, I say to, we do this all the time in our, in our new employee orientation. There's employees that come in here that, that don't have education yet. 
Guys, we'll pay for it. Man, oh, yeah? It's so important. And oh, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's community college or you're at the University of Utah or you're at Harvard. Uh, it doesn't matter, man. Get it done. That's right. It's, it's very worth it. What's your master's in? My master's is actually in um, public policy with a concentration in state and local public finance. Wow. So the the job you have here now, aeronautics, is coming into play a lot with what you studied. That's right. That's it's all about the the financing of of, for, of the airports, right? Of cool. of handling this system and the money that drives this system. So um, reverse just a little bit. Internship at the White House. Yep. Um, you moved from D.C. to come here to the to Utah. Why? So that's that's an interesting story. I had been. You know, I was the director of state government affairs at the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, which is the world's largest pilots association. And my job was to go through the 50 states, figure out um, what laws were friendly or unfriendly to aviators and, and help make to like, them more friendly. To like private owners, right? I mean, is that mainly what we're looking at? Um, well, it's just pilots, right? Not all pilots own an airplane, but... So that's, you know, it is the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. So you look at aircraft owners, but you also, we, we, we cater to all pilots. But I'm, I'm, I'm separating these guys from commercial pilots, yes, right? Because we're it, separating it, them. I was going to say, because it seems like commercial pilots have their own unions and yes, forces yeah, and they are associations. Totally and, different animal. So these are, this is everybody that doesn't fly a commercial jet. That's right. Okay. That's right. So and my job was to make state laws friendly to aviators. And in doing that, I got to, I started working in Utah a little bit, got to know Pat Morley, my predecessor. Mm -hmm. Um, And in working with the Republican Governors Association and all governors, uh, got to know Gary Herbert a little bit. And, uh, and when the time came, the pieces just fit together. Yeah. And I remember the, um, when they were doing interviews here for Pat's job, because Pat announced he was going to retire and uh, there's quite the buzz. Who's the next guy? And and uh, here comes this young whippersnapper. <laughs> um, Man, it's, a, it's been a long time since I've been called young or a whippersnapper. <laughs> um, well, and you and I are probably close to the same age too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but you, I, I think it was just a, it was an easy choice for these guys. So, I remember the uh, you have an air. I think you have an airplane lapel pin. That, I do, that, I do. I always have an airplane lapel pin. Yeah, always. I remember you wore that. I it just stuck out. It was kind of cool. So, well, talk to us a little bit about, um, let's go with, I kind of want the history of aeronautics here in the state of Utah. Just kind of where did it begin? Where, how did it get us to where we are today, right? Sure, and, and, sure. And, and we'll talk about today what's going on today and really what's going on in the future. But I'm kind of interested in what got us to this point. So Utah has a really rich aviation history, um, a lot because it's a, a desert state. There's a lot of flat areas, which means there's a lot of places for old airplanes to land because there didn't used to be airports. It was just find a field. If it's flat, you land in it. Good to go. Um, The first flight in Utah actually took place in 1910, which was about seven years after the Wright brothers. So we we like to say things move at the speed of aviation, right? Um, And Utah is no different when it comes to, to flight. So seven years after the Wright brothers, first flight, Utah's got its first flight. Um, 1910. After that, uh, 10 years later, the Salt Lake City Airport was built and commissioned. It was actually called Woodward, Woodward Field back then. Is it the same location where it is now? Same location where it is now. Um, and the term Woodward Field lets you know that it was just a field. It was just well. And it's, what's it interesting building. is that uh, when Jared came in this morning, he gave me 
uh, and we'll see if we can post this with, we'll put a link on the podcast here, but uh, this is a, a picture of the Salt Lake International Airport. Yes, it is. Circa 1940s. And it's a building, I don't know, maybe the size of the MTF building out here besides behind the complex. I mean, it's not very big. There's a small little hangar next to it that says the state of Utah, and there's one plane. And, uh, and that plane is a twin-engine DC-3 yeah, tail dragger. Just, That's a commercial uh, airline. And the tail draggers are the ones that have the small wheel on the back of the tail, yep. right? Uh, so these are the ones that you saw pretty popular in the in the 30s and 40s um, commercial airliners. But kind of cool. We'll we'll post that up there on the on the um, podcast link. So that that'll be fun for it. people to see. Kind of cool. So Woodward Field, um, 1920. What happened after that? So uh, interestingly enough, the first commercial flight didn't leave for another six years after the airport was built, and that's because it was just a field, right? It it really was just a landing area, not even a, a real runway. Um, but the first flight left in 1926, and then soon after that, the state of Utah realized we, we need to start regulating airspace. We need to kind of, this is going to be a thing. We need to get in the business. And in 1937, the Aeronautics Commission was formed under Jake Garn. The Jake Garn. The Jake Garn. Senator Astronaut Jake Garn. You got it. So he was the first director of aeronautics for the state. He was. Uh, now, th- this timeline-wise, did this kind of happen at the same pace around the country? I mean, was this all happening about the same time? Yeah, most of the states. Um, it happened a little bit faster out east because you've got more of a population density out there at, during the 20s and 30s, um, but about the same time. Okay. Uh, and then tell us kind of what what's going on in the state now. I mean, this was back in the 30s. We're, we're 70, 80 years later now. Um we have more than one airport. I we mean, have I, more than one airport. <laughs> how many airports do we have across? You know, the it's state? interesting. We we talk to people. Um, I'll go out across the state and say, you know, how many airports do you think we have? And people say, well, I can count. You know, Salt Lake, obviously. Oh, there's Salt Lake too. I know of that one. Yep. yep. Provo, Ogden, St. George, St. George. They probably, can name. Yeah. And then they start to get. Well, where else might there be an airport? There are actually 46. 46. 46 public-use airports. And what constitutes a public-use airport? What does that mean? So it's got to be a paved runway. Okay. It has to be open to the public. So any pilot navigating across the sky could land at that airport without previously announcing his intentions, without calling the owner and saying, hey, I'm coming to land. So it's a public use, right? Anybody can go there. Salt Lake International doesn't fall under that category, does it? Yes, it does. It really? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Right. Anybody Sorry. can land at Salt Lake Anybody International. Anybody can land. Yeah. <laughs> little, uh, little Cessna can go in and land at Salt Lake International. We do it all the time. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, so paved runway. Anybody can land there. Do they all have outbuildings? I mean, there's 46. Are there, are there people there at these airports all the time? I mean, we, we think of Provo or we think of Ogden where there's an actual there's, there's hangers, building, there's an actual building hangers, and places right. to wait for your flight. Interestingly enough, uh, Utah, you know, after after decades and literally decades and decades of, of aviation and 46 airports, only has three air traffic control, control towers. So only three of those airports are actually controlled by a tower. Matter of fact, Salt Lake didn't even get their tower till 1999. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, think about it. I was, I was, you know, I graduated high school by then. Yeah. So... Before we had an actual tower. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, think about where you were in 1999, and that's when the tower was. So Salt Lake International, I'm assuming Provo and St. George, are those the three? It's actually Salt Lake, Provo, and Ogden are the three. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. So in the, the others, most of them have what's called an FBO, a fixed base operator, who will provide services to pilots and self-fuel. Um, some of them, like Hanksville. Hanksville is the only airport that the state owns. It We just built our first hangar. It's literally a runway in Hanksville, but no buildings. So there's okay. So there's that level of airport. So we've got international. We've got the bigger city ones like Provo. Yep. Uh, then we go come down to these other just paved runways. There's maybe somebody there, maybe not. Um, and then there's dirt runways around. There's a lot of dirt <laughs> runways. There's actually about ninety backcountry airstrips. Not all of them are usable all the time, but Utah has a a very large number of backcountry airstrips. Are these used a bunch? They're used quite often. We actually have an entire association, the Utah Backcountry Pilots Association, who goes out and maintains and they'll remove weeds and rocks and make sure that the landing strips, the air strips, are in, kept in usable condition and safe. And how do I find these backcountry airstrips? There's actually a book called Fly Utah that will give you the geographical location, Latin longitude, and uh, pictures what to look for, wow. aerial photography, wow. a little history of each of the backcountry airstrips, why they're there. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, there's one other thing that kind of popped up on our radar. This was maybe, I don't know, we were talking maybe a year ago or nine months ago. Um, and was it KSL just ran a story about these? There are concrete arrows. arrows. <laughs> There are concrete arrows in the ground strategically placed along flight routes um, that basically point in the direction of your destination. Is yes. That, is that accurate? Yes. So back in the days of airmail, back when you know airmail was first getting started and the federal government said, we're going we're gonna to pay airlines, we're going to start airlines to fly mail, um, they, didn't, they didn't fly very high and they didn't really have anything better than a compass. So... Arrows, giant concrete arrows were literally uh, paved onto the ground to point the direction. And pilots would fly about 200 feet so that they could see the arrows. And they would follow these arrows along their flight. And when the arrow said turn right, they turned right. <laughs> and when the arrow said turn left, they turned left. <laughs> and I'm assuming they didn't... They... <laughs> They would get to their destination, but maybe be a couple miles off and have to visually look for where they were. Sure. They, it's all visual. They'd have to do it all visually. Um, Utah has 11 of them, and we have two or three routes, old air routes. One of them is L.A. to St. Louis. Okay. Another one is uh, San Diego to Chicago. And those are the routes that cross through Salt Lake. So, so, really, so really, as a pilot, you're just constantly scanning the ground for the next concrete arrow. Yeah, between that and praying, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and they were painted bright color. I mean, they were... Yeah, they were painted they bright. They were pretty they're visible. Easy to, they're still easy to find today if you fly over them low enough. Well, and this is fun. If you guys jump on Google, you can find these on Google pretty easily, too. Yeah. Uh, type in Aviation Arrows Utah, I think, in your Google browser, and there's... There's a couple of small sites that'll that'll take you to these to these locations. They're kind of cool. And again, if you're higher than 200 feet above the air, there's no way you would ever see these things. But I just think of getting to the arrow. There's one just um, just it's actually right in St. George, right? Um, I was looking at it and thought, man, there's no way that you could follow the point of that arrow and just land in in Los Angeles. I mean, it's just. It's crazy that, that people used it that way, but that's right. So we've got, we've got a rich aviation history. It's kind of cool. Um, 
You mentioned that uh, we have oversight on these forty-six airports. We do. What's what's our uh, what's our role when it comes to these airports and maintenance and things like that? So we Utah is what is considered a pass-through state. So um, what happens is the any any federal money that's spent at our airports has to come through the state division of aeronautics. We approve the projects. We request the funding, and then we pass that funding from the FAA through our office to the airports to finish the project. On all 46 of these airports? On all 46 of these. So including Salt Lake International, I was going through a kind of a big big overhaul. Yes, uh, yeah. What did you say earlier? A $4 billion overhaul? It's a $4 billion reconstruction project. And, so, right. and so part of that, you have, the, you have the opportunity to take those, those federal funds and pass them through to, yeah. to the Salt Lake International Airport. And Salt Lake, we pretty much leave them alone. I mean, they, you know, the, the relationship between them, us, and the FAA, um, we, we're, we're, we pretty much leave that alone. They know what they're doing. We're not worried about them. Um, but the other 45, we make sure that the projects are in line with what the state system needs. We're making sure that the projects are in line with what the community needs and requires, what the demands on the airport are, and we do the projects that meet the, that provide the supply to meet that demand. So when we're talking about projects, we're talking about repaving and, and striping and all that kind of stuff goes into Yep. Our, our priorities are runways, taxiways, and aprons. So What's all it? the landing surfaces. What's an apron? I think it, most of us understand. If you've flown on an airplane, you know what a, what a what a runway is and what a taxiway is, right? The taxi gets you from point A to point B. What's an apron? So the apron is the large piece of asphalt that you park the aircraft on, okay. and there are usually several aircraft parked on the apron. Okay, good. Um, what's the future of these airports? What's <laughs> <laughs> what's next? I mean, we we see that Salt Lake International is growing. I don't. Yes. I can't. I haven't heard anything immediate future on any of these other airports getting bigger and, and busier. Um, what's the future of the airports here? Well, with the growth of uh, Salt Lake International, um, once they reach their their third phase of expansion, you'll see South Valley and Tooele both uh, grow from from just Salt Lake, you know, starting to burst its seams, and and aircraft will have to be moved to those two airports. But, you know, we're really coming into, and it's a good question, like, what is the future of aviation? We're really coming coming into the era of the airport. So if you look back through the history of the world, all of the economic development has surrounded the primary mode of transportation, right? During the Roman era, Roman roads, all roads led to Rome. And so if you had a Roman road, you were on the bloodline of economic development. During the British, uh, British Empire, it was seaports. Right. If you had a shipping lane and a seaport, that was where the economic development happened. And then railroads came into play, moving those goods from the seaports inland. If you had a railroad, you were on the bloodline of economic development. And then with Dwight Eisenhower and the interstate system, if you had two interstates that intersected, you had economic development. Which shows a lot. I mean, Utah has three. Right. Utah has three, um, which shows a lot why why we've grown so fast. And and you know, Carlos tells us all the time this is the eighth most urbanized state, and it's partly because of that is yes. we have the ability to get goods and and services along these bloodlines. Yes, but now we're entering the era of the airport. Um, you know, we like we have a saying at Aeronautics: if you pave one mile of road, you go one mile. If you pave one mile of runway, now it, you can reach the globe. Yeah, it's limitless. It's limitless. 
So the era of the airport really is coming into play as, as companies grow, as businesses grow, as the world economy grows. Um, if you're not moving at the speed of aviation, you're moving too slow. Which is, um, it's kind of cool to see that, that really we're starting to look to the skies a lot more. You know, and I look at just us in the communications department here. We use drone footage a lot. We've got drone footage. Um, um, I know our bridge and structures group uses drones for inspections. I mean, it seems like we're taking to the air a lot more because it's convenient. It's cheap. Um, it's pretty safe for the most part. Um, talk about that. Talk about drones. Talk about um, private people having things in the air. I mean, I mean, where are we going in that direction? Drones is always the the political hot topic, right? It's that hot potato. Um, there's a... There's a nice little contentious balance beam between, you know, oh, somebody's flying over my house taking pictures and we're actually doing good inspecting bridges. And you have to be real careful with the airspace because the the manned aircraft um, right now don't really get along with the hobbyist drone pilot, which is a lot of what we have. yeah. Yeah. So, but the future is going to be, and this is what we're working on, is is how do you how do you live together safely, right? How does an unmanned aircraft and a manned aircraft fly in the same airspace uh, safely? And how do we keep the population in the air safe? How do we keep the population on the ground safe? One of the ways we're doing that is we've started our urban air mobility working group, and we are devising basically. Let's take everything that UDOT does on the ground with state highways. And, and it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, whether it's an 18-wheeler, a Ferrari, or a Gremlin. You can all enter and exit the interstate and the state highways in a safe manner. And so that's what we're working on doing, taking basically everything that UDOT does on the ground, raising it up a 1,000 feet and saying, okay, now we can do hobbyist drones. We can do package delivery drones whether it's from Amazon to your house or whether it's from a factory to a, a store or, you know, the hospital, the hospital hub at the University of Utah to a day clinic. And, and how do we make that, integrate that safely with eventually aerial taxis? So you'll see aerial taxis where you'll be able to say, you know what, I'm, I just don't want to fight the traffic today. Hit your phone, call up a, an Uber Air or whatever it's going to mm-hmm. be. And, um, you know, this quadcopter drone will land at your house and take you to wherever you need to be. Wow. Or pick you up at the airport and take you to the hotel. And that's a pretty real future. It's a very real future. It's a very real. And, and we're trying to lead the way by providing the infrastructure, um, the safety infrastructure for that future. So talk about that infrastructure a little bit if you can. I know a lot of it's still, uh, quote unquote, up in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but, but talk about what's needed because... When we think of infrastructure on the ground, it's very, very different, right? Yes. For us, it's it's paved roads, it's right of way, it's it's uh, utility lines, it's all that kind of stuff. It becomes a lot different when we talk about infrastructure in the air. Um, what's needed to to make the air safe, as far as infrastructure is concerned? Well, that's a good. That's a really good question. Um, so. The, the thing that makes people in the air safe is a redundant system, right? A lot of the vehicles that could operate on our roads, like if you take a truck, like a Ford F-150, it can operate on the road or off the road. So a lot of these vehicles that could operate in our space highways, you know, our airspace highway system, um, they can do it themselves already. They can fly the pass they want to already based on GPS 
or some other communication system, mostly GPS. But what if that GPS signal is lost? And we've all seen our phones lose GPS. We've all seen our our phones, you know, some 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 everybody has an experience where GPS got interrupted, messed up. Yeah. Messed up. So we're looking at a quadruple redundant safety system. And this is really to ensure the safety of everyone in the, on the ground and in the sky. Number one is GPS. We, the, the landings and takeoffs have to be absolutely precise. There has to be a precise location, precision landing based on GPS. Um, in the air, we're using something called ADS-B, which is the way airplanes communicate to each other here's where i am here's who i am here's where i am here's who i am and it's constantly and it's constant yes it's a live stream um for lower altitude we'll be using an advanced wireless platform this is where drones and and hobbyists and stuff come in this is where the the package delivery drones really come in is is the advanced wireless platform it's being developed at the university of utah and it will be a seamless continuous communication with the drone to the um, supplier, right, of the manufacturer, and also my office, where we, again, that drone is con- continuously communicating, here's who I am, here's where I am, here's who I am, here's where I am. So we know exactly is that if that drone, if two drones are going to bump into each other, or if it's going to come near a hobbyist drone who happens to be flying in the air, or if it's coming near a, a manned aircraft, we can detect it ahead of time and avoid that collision. And do the do the math. Do basically do the math yeah, to avoid collision. And then the fourth rung is mini radar. We actually have miniature radar that are not any bigger than an iPad, and we're gonna we're looking at putting those in strategic locations across the valley, so that we can track the hobbyist. You know, because a hobbyist who's just flying out of his backyard, he can fly up to a thousand feet, but he doesn't have to tell anybody, and nobody even knows he's there until something happens. Yeah. But the radar allows us to see anything flying at a low-level altitude and, again, detect and avoid so that we can all be safe in the same airspace. It's funny, too, because um, we, see the, we see the unmanned drones like the hobbyists. We see things like that come into play during wildfire season. Right? Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to get a picture of the wildfire that's happening up on the hill behind their house. Um, this system, these safety systems here will eventually make it so that really those can't cross paths and that they'll, that at least the manned aircrafts, the guys that are dumping water on the fires from a helicopter know what's in the air around them. They can see what's in the air around them and there's no second guessing it. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting too, because this is, this is super futuristic. It's very futuristic. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we talked to Blaine Leonard in one of our early, early podcasts about, um, it, connected autonomous vehicles, right? These cars that drive themselves. And, and part of that conversation was, is, are we looking at the Jetsons era? I have, you know, that's the one <laughs> everybody says to me, is this the Jetsons? Are we bringing the, yes, we are bringing the Jetsons. But, to but what's cool is that they're not going to be cars. They're going to be drones. They're yes. going to be helicopters. They will, they will be aerial vehicles, whether it's a quadcopter. The nice thing about the new electric um, motors, you know, that, that not only, you know, you've got electric motors and vehicles, everything from the Prius to the Tesla. But the electric motors uh, scale down so nicely that you can put several of them on a single vehicle. And that becomes an aerial vehicle that can get you across town quietly and safely. 
Now, I don't want people to go out and start writing their legislator and say, hey, this is, I can't believe this is happening. Guys, we are years away from yeah, so this. Yes, we're, we're a little ways away. We're just thinking about the infrastructure that to make this safe. Yeah, if, if this were to happen, what needs to be in place for it to be safe? And that's really the key here is safety, yes, right? Absolutely. I mean, nothing's going to be launched. We're not going to run test flights or anything like that until we know that everybody's safe. But uh, it's coming. Yes, it is it's coming. It's coming. The, uh, we've seen TV shows with, with uh, they spoof Amazon dropping stuff via, via drone, and that's, that's probably a pretty real possibility. So kind of a big job for you guys coming up here. It is. It is. And it's nice to be on the leading edge of this. It's nice to be thinking about not just the vehicle because everybody's so wrapped up in, in the vehicle that not a whole lot of people are talking about well, what's the infrastructure needed to create a highway in the sky. What, how do you really do that? Um, and what are the safety systems involved with that? And then what about the landing sites? You know, once we start moving people, let's say you want to go from the airport to your hotel, does the hotel then have a landing site? Is it in the parking lot? Is it on the roof? If it's on the roof, is that part of the public transit system? Do you have to, then does the elevator to the roof in the hotel become public property? Yeah. You know, these are all questions we have to sort out. Well, and I think too, if eventually there's air taxis, you know, can it, can it land in my driveway? Yeah. Is, is it okay in the middle of the street? What safety issues are caused by uh, a four person taxi landing, you know, from the sky into the middle of the street? And so there's, there's lots of things obviously to work out and there's lots of safety systems that, that need to happen. So again, Future talk, everybody. This, <laughs> this isn't around the corner. It, it, it. We're talking about it. Um, Jared's got his hands full on this, and and there's experts all over the country and all over the world that are talking about how do we make this a reality? Yeah, so, and how do we make it a safe reality? So that's the future. When we talk about the future of aeronautics here at, at the Department of Transportation, what's happening now? What fun things are going on right now that people can get involved in and, and kind of learn more about aeronautics? And I and I'm gonna before you answer. <laughs> Sure. Uh, I don't know, maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, we put, we put out a Talking Orange, um, really basic about our aeronautics division. I, I, we're, we've been talking about doing that again, and we're going to kind of highlight some of these cool new new things that are coming out. So that's one of the ways you can find out more about our aeronautics division is just kind of keep your eyes open, and, and we'll send out that, that Talking Orange here in the next month or two. But what's going on uh, across the state? What can people get involved in, and how can they learn more about this stuff? So the probably the most exciting thing, that we're doing that is in urban air mobility now is uh, is the economic impact study of all of our airports and our Utah Continuous Airport System Plan. It's the first of its kind in the nation. It's the first time that anyone's ever looked at airports and said, these are economic engines. Let's tie the future of the airport into the economic development goals of the community. And how can the airport help the community achieve those goals? So anybody, you know, of, of all the communities that have airports, and if anybody, you know, in for everybody in Utah that's listening, I would say, go find your local airport and find out how your chambers of commerce can engage with the local airport. How can your airport bring business from a, literally around the world to your community? And how can your community expand its, its number of jobs? Um, you know, really everything that goes along with economic development through the airport. Uh, and there are stories all across Utah. Um, like Little Manti has an airport, the Manti Ephraim Airport. One of their economic development stories is they have a guy who sells alfalfa pellets to Japan. And the only reason he's in Manti is because of the airport. Wow. 
And, and that's how he conducts his business. That's very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, passport program, what's that? So the passport <laughs> program is the other cool thing. So as we're working on economic development for the, the airports and, and tying that into the community, we want people to go and visit their airports and, and realize that there is an airport here to use. So the passport program is an incentive for people to visit these airports. And you can fly in, you can drive in, doesn't matter how you get there. But you, you'll be able to go on your phone, and, and Google, you know, Utah Aeronautics Division. Um, not yet, but it's being developed. Uh, it'll be done before the end of the year. And you'll be able to go to a link that says Fly Utah. And then you'll be able to click on, you'll create a profile, yada, yada. And you'll click, hey, I'm at this airport. It, geo, it uh, geolocates you. Yes, you're at that airport. Great. And so the more airports you visit, you can actually win prizes. Sweet. Like an aviator's jacket. Like an aviator's jacket. <laughs> or yeah. some cool glasses. Yeah. <laughs> so this just gets us involved. It gets people, uh, A, aware of the airports that are around them, but B, it's, it's you know, when we talk about staycations and, and things you can do with your families, this is actually kind of a fun idea. Hey, kids, we're going to go visit three airports today. Yeah. And, and again, someone may or may not be there. <laughs> if you really want somebody there, you'll have to call ahead and make you sure you're there. Ahead. You're there when they are. Um, but this will geotag you and you can check in at the app when, uh, when that's developed. And so yeah. we'll, we'll kind of keep you guys posted on that and, and let you know what's going on. But we want you to, to, to learn what we're doing here at the department. And this is one of those cool little corners that uh, up to this point, not a lot of people realize it's happening, but um, you're about to take center stage, and, and it's exciting for us. I know here. Well, and it should be exciting. You know, we want people to realize flying is fun. That's, that's what this is. I mean, even with the Wright brothers, they did it because it was fun, it was interesting, it captivated them. And it still does. It still does. Getting away, you know, just escaping gravity, taking off for the first time. If you've never done it, go do it. Because it's just so much fun. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, Jared, I appreciate your time today. This Absolutely, is, thank you, Matt. This has been fun. Like appreciate I said, everybody, kind of stay tuned. We're gonna keep you. We're gonna keep you notified and abreast on everything that, that's going on in the aeronautics division. And uh, there's fun stuff, futuristic stuff, uh, crazy jets and stuff. But we're excited for it. So thanks again, Jared. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're here. I'm going to put in a plug like I do every single time we do a podcast. If you have ideas, we are always looking for them. Uh, let us know interesting things that are happening across the department, uh, things that you and your group are doing. Go ahead and email us at beyondthebarrels at utah.gov, uh, beyondthebarrels at utah.gov. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Matt Allred from the Utah Communications Department. Have a safe flight. <laughs> <laughs>